it's Crystal. Hey, it's Jessica. We're two friends in two different chapters of life coming together to chat about life, love, work, family drama, and everything in between. Join us as we lean into living out loud and navigating through life's messy challenges on this journey to find joy in being intentionally human. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Intentionally Human. Hey, Jessica. Hey, guys. We are so excited to be back. I feel like we have had lots of great discussion, and we're going to just carry that right on into tonight and talk about just being happy. Yes, I am so excited for you to deep dive us into this topic because you just actually sat through a presentation on happiness um, for culture. So I'm excited to learn something today. <laughs> I did. So I did sit through kind of a little conference style around happiness. Um, and it was really interesting. I, I don't know, for me, when I think about being happy, um, I feel like it's one of those things that we're all trying to aspire to. Like we're all like, whenever I talk to any of my coaching clients or anything like that, it's always like, I just want to feel happy. Um, and so I feel like it's something that just is really relative for a lot of people in this quest we are on in life, right? Like <laughs> we just, we just want to be happy. And how do we do that? Um, and I just think it's a really interesting discussion and I think it's very personal, right? I think, um, you know, happiness is a relative term, but what was really interesting in today's conference is that it's, it's not necessarily something to aspire to. It's all within our control. And this idea, right, that we have the choice to be happy. And so therefore, it's not any kind of external stimuli that's going to create that for you. It's, it's something that you have to do within yourself. And I don't think that a lot of people look at the concept of happiness in that way. No, I think that you're always, I don't know, I think for a lot of people, you're always like trying to get to the next level. So even if you are just happy or content, like I think a lot of people miss that they're having that feeling and then they're thinking about everything that they don't have or everything that they want to like continue for achieve, whatever that you, you take that happiness away from you. Cause it's like, nothing's good enough. And I think sometimes you just have to stop and be like, I'm happy with where I'm at. It's good. Um, huh. That's really hard to do. We don't live in a world that really <laughs> promotes that, do we? <laughs> no, our culture really doesn't set us up for that. Um, and one of the things that I thought was interesting in the conference today is they were talking about a lot of studies. Obviously, there's like studies out the wazoo around happiness. Uh, but one of them was really looking at the correlations with happiness. So when you look at people who really feel like they're happy and content with who they are in their lives, um, there's really like a small or no correlation with like age, gender, education, physical attractiveness or size, income, intelligence, or ethnicity. So there's, it's not one of these things that like only the rich are happy or only the really smart people are happy. Like it, that just doesn't exist. And in a lot of the studies, it shows really that those people who make like an I guess a sort of average, I don't know what the average income is across the United States, but somebody that I think they were saying around 60 to $70,000 a year, like mm-hmm. that seems to be where the correlation really comes to a peak with happiness. And that those that make below that or above that tend to be less happy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I get the lower part, right? Cause if your basic needs aren't being met and you're stressed yeah. over how you're going to survive, that's not going to 
do a lot to help you be happy. But I think in America, we have this idea, right? Like the more money I have, the more stuff I can buy, the more secure I will feel like, and we equate that to feeling happy. (laughs) Um, And the studies just don't show that. That is really interesting. Cause like that thing, money can't buy happiness. I think that's so true. Yeah. I think most people as like you, you grow in your job or whatever, you start making more money, you learn like as soon as you start making more money, you find more ways to spend it. So you're always kind of in the same spot as you were before you got the raise or the bonus or whatever. It's like, oh, absolutely. I just found another bill to incur, <laughs> but I didn't really yeah. need before, but now it's, it, I need it or something. Absolutely. And I think, I think money can buy you distractions. Yeah. I don't know that it can necessarily buy you happiness, but what it did show was that the biggest correlations to happiness were optimism, like feeling optimistic, uh, feelings of gratitude, being employed or feeling like you're contributing to society. Um, the percent of time experiencing positive affect, self-esteem, frequency of intimacy and happiness, um, Oh, no, then it goes into, I'm sorry, like a study within twins. So they were saying that there is like a happiness gene in a sense. Like, so Mm -hmm. some folks are just more, um, like have a higher pre, pre, can't even think, you know, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like a predisposition. I'm like tongue tied. (laughs) A predisposition? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) I'm like, it's right there, but for some reason my mouth won't say it. Um, for being happier or more content, but that doesn't mean that you have to have that to be happy. Um, so I thought that was really interesting too. So basically what they were saying was the more time you spend thinking in an optimistic way, like you rewire your brain to see the world in that way. And it's easier for you to show appreciation and love and connection with others, which then like full circle, right. Helps you feel happier and more content with yourself and those around you and your place in society and yada, yada, yada. So I just thought that was really cool. And none of that has anything to do with your gender, your age, your ethnicity, social class, none of it. It's like, wow. Okay. I love that. I think that's why, especially with COVID, I think so many people really struggled with uh, like happiness. A lot of people fell into a depression and it, it is like from firsthand experience, like you, when you're in a depression, you know that you can like choose to be happy, but it's just that much harder to make that choice daily or to see the good yes. in things. Like your brain is really working double time to make sure that you aren't. Um, so it's like, and sometimes you're just really tired and it's really hard to fight for it. So there was like a huge push of daily affirmations and gratitude journals and all of these things that you can do to like start slowly rewiring your brain, even if it's only for two minutes a day it's still time that you are just doing that and it's allowing yourself some grace for the rest of the day. Cause I think that's the hardest thing is you're like, I'm trying to be happy and it's not working. And (laughs) then you just like spiral down into more like being upset. And it's, it just can really be a slippery slope for, especially in times where there's like a lot of chaos and everybody's been in crisis mode for so long, you get exhausted. I think one of the things I learned through COVID was, um, and I, I usually have it like on a sticky note somewhere around me to remind myself, but something around on the lines of your best is going to 
to be different or vary right from day to day mm-hmm. and that's okay so today your best might be 150 percent, but tomorrow it might be 20 percent, and then the next day it might be 100 percent. like and that's okay <laughs> and i think in yeah. covid we really like saw that intensify because we were so up and down there was so much uncertainty there was so much crisis and things to respond to that there really was no way to like show up as your best self every day in the traditional sense, or at least what I used to consider my traditional sense of my best self. Um, And so I think just kind of adopting that attitude, right? Like my best is going to vary. And today my best may only look like this and I'm going to have to just own that and accept it and hope that others will, you know, give me the same grace. Yeah. And also not catastrophizing. I think that one of the things that like really makes it hard for me to find some happiness in my day to day. Cause I'm like, you know, sometimes I'm sad, but I can always like find something to be happy about. But when I'm catastrophizing, I can just go <laughs> down. Like I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be home. Like I just real, I can really convince myself that my world is going to end. If you give me five <laughs> minutes alone with myself in a bad mood. <laughs> I think that's so true. I don't think you're alone in that, Jessica. Um, I think the other thing that you catch people doing too is dwelling too much about the past, like revisiting past mistakes or, or being stuck in some of the trauma in the past or things that they've experienced. And I think those two tend to almost play hand in hand, right? Like we've mm-hmm. developed these patterns for a reason, right? They've given us some sort of a coping mechanism to help us stay safe, whatever that may be. Um, and then we get stuck in it and it's just that vicious cycle. And it definitely pulls you out of like being in the moment and appreciating what's happening right now. Um, and we're trying to plan for the future because now you're catastrophizing and you're planning for like the death of humankind <laughs> because you decided to take a bath or something. You know what I mean? Like now you're like, you're just spiraling. You're not really pre- preparing for like a realistic future option. Like you're preparing for like, whatever you've catastrophized in your mind. (laughs) Yeah. And I think people forget how resilient they are and how like in any, like going through shit is hard and like, it can be hard to find the happiness, but when you're through it, like you, you do find happiness again. You do find joy again. Like there's, there is a brighter side, which I know when you're in it and you're really in the trenches, it's hard to hit people that tell you that it's like, do not tell me there's a silver lining right now. I am just trying to survive daily. But it's really true. Like anytime that I've gone through something really hard in life and been like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Like, I think that I've been hit, like hit with more than I can handle. And so I'm like, God, like, why are you mad at me? What did I do to you? <laughs> like, <laughs> did I, um, who did I offend? This, yeah. Yeah. Is this like a reincarnation of life? Did I piss somebody off in a past? Like what, what is going yeah. on? But then you get to the other side and it's like, I can look back on that and laugh at some situations. There's still some sadness in situations, but I'm happy now. And if I like think too much about those situations or let them dictate my life, like you said, I would not be okay. I think there's, especially when it comes to trauma and stuff like that, if you let, how do I want to say this without it? I don't want to say like, if you let yourself continue to be victimized, which that sounds, I'm not saying that you're not a victim, but if you continue to let that that thing control your life and continue to have it be like the thing that just is all consuming to you it just eats you alive and it's like that is one of those choices yeah you give your power away to something that might have hurt you or 
you know, brought you pain in the past versus being able to like process it, work through it, accept it mm -hmm. and still live with it. I, I think that's the one thing that always bothered me growing up or when I was in a rough time was, oh, time heals all wounds. Well, no, not really, because right. I'm sure you've met a few people, including ourselves, um, <laughs> right? That can hold on to things for a long time. Like those wounds don't just heal themselves. Those memories don't go away. Um, but it, once you learn to process them and understand kind of what happened, you know, you can start to cope with it. You can start to build some resilience. You can start to build different coping skills and kind of different neuron paths that you can react and respond to life in a different way. It doesn't change the past. It doesn't change, you know, the trauma, but it changes the way you allow it to control you or the power that you now give it in your current situation. And that sometimes takes some therapy or some, you know, some help from others, but it's definitely well needed <laughs> um, yes. yeah. to help bring on that happiness factor so that you don't just get caught up in those same patterns of thinking and reliving that trauma and letting that trauma then dictate like your future. Yeah. And I, I mean, like I've been in that situation where I, it definitely like something had definitely did. And I was like the girl who, instead of just, or like, you know, like that was like my main identifier for myself for so long that I had to like rewire my brain to be like, that's a piece of me. And it's part of what makes me who I am now because I will forever be changed. I can't go back to who I was before, but right. I can embrace who I am now and figure out how to be the best version of this new me. And I think first that's really hard to do because I think that's, I think one of the hardest things to do when you've been through something is accepting that it happened and forgiving yourself for it happening. I think so many people hold on to like the guilt around it and like, what could I have done different and replay like how to change things. You can't change it. Like you said, and like one of the free, most freeing things is just accepting it and like allowing yourself to be happy and like move past something. Cause it really, it is hard. It really does suck. But yeah. like the minute that you give yourself the freedom to like live again and feel different emotions other than just sadness all the time, it's so much like, it makes life a lot easier. And it takes time. I mean, I don't want anybody to get the impression that we like take that lightly or that like it's somehow your fault if you're still in that space and haven't found your way out of it yet, because it's definitely a journey. It's definitely a process. And it's that looks different for everybody. And, you mm -hmm. know what that journey looks like. But I think definitely taking the steps to like process through those things and finding your way out so that you one, know how to feel a different way, and two, can create new patterns and new mindset around, you know, who you are today and who you want to be in the future, I think is so vital. But I also think that it's important to realize that who you are now or this new version of yourself after that trauma isn't a broken person or a fraction of the person you used to be. And I think that's sometimes where we get stuck, right? Like we feel like we're damaged goods. Um, and I, I find it so empowering when people can look at it and realize that just because something bad might've happened to me or I was hurt or I had this situation that doesn't make me less valuable, that doesn't make me damaged or you know broken. It just makes me different. And yeah. different is still beautiful. Different is still valuable. Different still brings a lot to the table. So I love it when we can help people feel that versus this happened to me and I'll never be the same. I'm now broken. Yes. And I, I will, I am somebody who dealt with trauma all through college and literally 
like tell spin my life around it for so long. And it's not a linear thing, you know, like Mm -mm. I will have a year or two where I'm really good. I know my coping skills and I'm on it. And then I might have an event that triggers some PTSD. And then I'm like kind of back to square one, like relearning different coping skills or different relationships that I have have brought something out that I hadn't addressed yet. And now I'm having to address something for the first time. And that's just like, it's, it's going to be a constant journey for me. So I don't want anybody oh, yeah. to think that I'm like, Oh, you're just going to heal and it's going to be fine. Like, but it, it does get easier to embrace the journey. And I think the hardest thing is just embracing the journey as you go along and yes. the grace, the grace that you have to have with yourself is so hard. Oh my God. <laughs> but it's like the key to happiness. I think for me, cause I think happy, like we had talked about happiness really is defined by each individual person for me having grace with myself and allowing myself to be human is one of the key things for my happiness. And the minute that I start putting this unrealistic expectation on how I should be, how I should look, how I should act, what the perfect friend looks like, that is when I start to really just get unhappy. I have depressive episodes. I just will wait and just tear myself down to the point that I am like struggling to get back up because of what I've convinced myself the world needs from me. I know. And it's hard to break those patterns and it definitely takes time and there are going to be good and bad days. And you're right. It's not a linear process. It's not like you go from point A to point B, you know, to the end point. Like there's a lot of back and forth. There's a step forward and two step back and like it takes work. But what I like to remember, or I remind myself when I have those days where I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling triggered or I feel like, you know, something's making me react or not feel good is that I'm not going back to square one. I'm going back to a place of, hey, look, I've recognized this within myself and now I'm going to seek treatment, which is not where I was at the beginning. At the beginning, I felt broken, right? So (laughs) it's, so for me, just being able to kind of reframe that helps me to say, you know what, hey, I still have power and I'm better than what I was before. So I may be having a bad day or maybe having a rough patch or whatever that may look like, but I'm not back to, the gutter where I felt like I started. So, and that helps kind of keep my momentum and my motivation to keep trying and keep doing better and building and things like that, but it's not easy. And I think that's a lot of folks look for the easy way out and it's just not easy. It gets easier over time and with practice, (laughs) Um, but the journey itself isn't easy, but nothing worth having, I think is easy. If it's too easy, then you don't appreciate it. It's not it doesn't yeah. bring you that much joy, you know? I was literally going to say that. I I think that the best things in, in life, like when you're on the other side of it, it's like those things that you just put everything into, like those are the things you look back and you're so proud of. And like, you just have this like overwhelming sense of pride in. And that's such a cool feeling when you can have that like over like, oh, like you said, not back to square one. I think that's a, that's a really good call. And I've never thought about it. And so that kind of like hit me where I'm like, I've never celebrated that victory. Even whenever I have found myself backsliding and having that issue, I've never stopped to celebrate like, oh, I'm reaching out for help within two weeks of realizing this whenever it took me three years to reach out for help the first time. Like that is a huge win. And that alone should be just like shouted from the rooftops. Like, holy crap, recognize this in yourself (laughs) when you avoided it for three years before. Like, that's really cool. 
and I think that we always think it has to be like these big monumental, like everybody can see it things. And it could just be that you woke up and you said something nice to yourself instead of saying something ugly to yourself in the mirror. That's a yes. huge win. Celebrate the shit out of that. Because if you can figure it out, let me know. Um, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's true. I, and I think it's the small ones. I think we're always looking for that big, you know, jump or leap or big success. But what I have found, or at least through my own experience, is that nothing rarely happens in those big mm-hmm. leaps and moments, even when you have an aha moment, right? Like, it's not like it's, oh, I just had this aha moment. Now I've grown, you know, 42 stages. Like, no, it's, I've put in a lot of work, lots of small steps that even allowed me to have that aha moment. <laughs> and then that aha moment helped me maybe jump up a level, but it, it's still a lot of little steps that have come together to help you get to that next challenge or to that next phase or whatever it may be that you're working towards. And I think you have to celebrate. And we talk about this a lot, celebrate your wins. But Mm -hmm. I think at first you have to like stop and reflect and look at yourself and pay attention to your growth and then celebrate because nobody's going to have your back and love you as much as yourself. And you've got to like, look at that and say, you know what, Hey, what have I done? What can I be proud of? I may have had a really shitty day or been really rude to the person, you know, at the grocery store because I was in a shitty mood, whatever, but that doesn't make me a crappy person. I just had a bad moment. (laughs) Right. And I'm not going to let that bring me down and undo all of the progress I've had. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all human. Yes, this really ties in well to the episode that we <laughs> released the week before, like the relationship yeah. with self. And I think that, yeah, the key to have, like the key, I keep saying that. I thought I quit saying that wording. But like one <laughs> of the pillars of happiness is like understanding yourself. Yes. I, and they don't talk about that a lot. They didn't even talk about that in this um in this conference thing, but they did talk about where like some of the activities like that may help increase happiness. And so that's um, like avoid equating happiness with money or some sort of like money driven action or performance. Um, The optimistic outlook, fostering close relationships and having a support system. Um, Don't dwell in the past. Seek work and leisure activities that engage your skills. Again, that, that concept of feeling valuable, feeling part of a community, um, set and pursue goals, and then maintain self-care practices such as exercise, healthy eating, and a good sleep regimen will all help to increase your happiness. But again, I think at the end of the day, if you don't have some connection with yourself and a strong relationship with yourself, you can do all of those things, but it's going to leave you feeling just a little right. bit off, like you're you're not quite hitting the mark and not quite getting the results you want because you're just going through the actions and checking the boxes, but not actually mm-hmm. connecting with yourself. So that's the one thing I feel like was missing in the, in the conference that I, I, would, I would have done differently, but. Yeah, I would agree with that. Cause I think when you look at that, if you're, <laughs> if you're like me, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to just do this, this and this, but if I'm doing it to achieve something and not really thinking about like, well, how is this, not in the moment and like just being present with myself, it's not going to work. I have tried oh. that. And then I realized that like, I will do those things almost to punish myself. And I take what should be a positive and like, I'm doing this because it's helping me be in tune. I'm feeling this. I will use it as punishment. 
like I always know when I'm using exercise for punishment rather than just for feeling good because it's not fun. It becomes a chore. (laughs) I dread it. And it's, and I just, I leave a workout feeling bad. You know, like if I, my runtime is less or more than it was the day before, like it pisses me off. And then I'm like, just, it's like you, I like really have to walk this fine line of like really knowing what my intentions are going into something. Um, Cause it's really easy to convince yourself otherwise. And I think and, that's a, yeah, I think that's a good call out because I think we focus on self-care and all this stuff, right? Which is great. I mean, self-care is wonderful. I'm all for it, but I think we have a really kind of like first world approach to it to where it's like, Hey, make sure you exercise, make sure you sleep good at night, make sure you take your bubble bath, make sure you get a massage. And all of these things are great and they're wonderful and they can really be helpful tools. But if there's not real intentional behavior behind it and purpose behind it and some sort of like a ritual with it that where it brings a certain level of meaning to you, then it's just empty actions, right? That aren't going to get you what you're trying to get out of it. Um, and I think that's the piece that isn't talked about enough. And so then people get out there and like, oh, I take my bubble baths. I've ran five miles and I've done this and I'm still miserable. Well, okay, well, that's because you never stop to do the work for yourself. You never stop to make that in- that connection, to make that intentional purpose part of your ritual every day. That's the key that's missing. And that takes work and that takes reflection mm-hmm. and that takes time and that takes energy. And you have to be open to doing that work if you want the end result. Yeah. Like really knowing what truly fills your cup. Yeah. Like I y- used to really think bubble baths were like one of mine. Like it was my time to disconnect and all that. And then I realized that wasn't really filling my cup up. It was just a way for me to dissociate and avoid things that I should be doing. <laughs> and it did make me feel better at the end. I was always just more stressed out and like, oh my gosh, I just wasted two hours. <laughs> And then there's times like where it's in the hierarchy. It's like, okay, actually I have this time. I'm going to like grab a book and go lay in the bath for four hours and it's going to just feel really good. And that's great. But I think like you have to prioritize what's going to help you in that moment. And it might not be the same thing every day. If exercising is not something that always brings you joy, if you'd rather go, if you're like, I would really like to hang out with this friend. I haven't seen them in forever. Like, give yourself permission to not work out and go see the friend. If you know that it's going to fill your cup up more, I think too many people get rigid with routines and I don't think routines are bad, but I think you also set yourself up for some failure because it's really hard to consistently maintain a routine for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think rituals and routines are important, but I agree. There's got to be some flexibility. Like if you, if your routine becomes what guides your life and what decisions you make, in such a rigid fashion, then you fall victim of that. Just checking the boxes again. Well, I made it through my routine. I did everything. I checked the boxes and it's no longer that intention's no longer there. Like I am doing this so that I can get this out of it. It's just, I'm doing this because I got to check my boxes because this is my routine. and This is my ritual. And y'all know I'm all about having some routines. (laughs) I like a schedule. I like to have some control, but I also like to check in with myself and be like, okay, you know, do I have to do this? Is this really what's going to help me in the moment? What purpose is this ritual or this routine serving for me? And if it's not serving me in the way I need it to, then I have to be flexible enough to be able to change that and adjust it. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you start stressing out about being able to fit it all into a day, it's like, it should take something off your day. Yes. You should not be 
I definitely have had those days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this, this, and this. And like, we'll sit up for hours in my bed, like trying to schedule out down to the minute, like when I'm going to start something. And it's like, I just, is this really all important? Does this all have to happen tomorrow? And usually the answer is no. It's just, I've decided. (laughs) Yeah. Cause you, I, but I think we, we're, we're raised that way. We're taught a lot of mixed messages, mm-hmm. right? Like don't put off today or well, don't put off yes. till tomorrow, what you can do today, or, you know, make sure you're productive. Make sure like we have all of these things that were taught growing up. Like you got to make sure you get this done on time and we have deadlines and you have, to, you know, all of this stuff. And so at least for me, that's how, you know, my perfectionist stuff kicked in. I was like, all right, I can thrive in this space. Like I can, I can make this work and I can deliver and I can do this. And then you get rewarded. Oh right? Whether it's praise from your teacher or your boss or your mom or whoever for when you deliver on those things. So then it just kind of reinforces that cycle. And one of the things I thought was really interesting in the conference was um, one of the girls that was talking was talking about her mentor who told her when she was in college, listen, you have one life to live and that's it. You don't have one career, you have one life. So your career and your profession your work is just one part of who makes up who you are and the part of your life. And I think a lot of times, at least in our country, right? Like we get so caught up in this productive mentality that we start to lose ourselves in that identity of who we are, right? Like what, what it is we do for a living. And I think that really, at least for myself, that really messes with me a little bit because you put so much into it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue your passions and show up to work with passions and do your job well, absolutely. But it it can't be all that you're about and it can't run your life. You know, you've only got the one life to live. And if happiness is what you're seeking, you might be missing out on a lot of things that are gonna bring you joy and happiness if you're so consumed with work and achievement and that sort of thing. Yeah, I would, I would say like, especially in the workplace, we really romanticize like martyrdom. Oh yeah. We, and we, we show it. Like when you think of people who are in the highest positions and companies that you work for that are constantly working, sending emails outside of work, you know, like those kind of things. I don't think that we think of like the large scale impact that they have but they do. Cause then you have all of these employees who just received an email. They're like, should I be working? Like you start yeah. feeling guilty for taking your time and having that balance. And it's like, am I not going to get to that level? Because I don't have the same, cause I have put more emphasis on personal life than work life. And everybody's like, well, you're going to have to make sacrifices at some point in your career. Yeah. And I like, I, I kind of think it's a load of shit. Like, Oh, a hundred percent. It. I mean, like you can, I know that you can't truly have it all, but you can, and you can set boundaries and expect your employers or whoever to, to respect those boundaries. And if they don't, then you can go find somewhere else. And you just have to understand, I guess, the sacrifices or consequences, you know, like, okay, if I set this boundary and it's not okay with my company and I have to go find a job, I might make less money, but at the end, is it going to be worth it to me? if you really like love your work-life balance and you like only working eight to five and don't have it, you know, then it probably would be more worth it. I think that's when it comes into being in tune with yourself and knowing what that balance is for yourself. Yeah. And I think, 
I think some of it comes with age. I think, you know, once you have hit a few of your milestones or some of the goals you've set for yourself, or maybe have yourself in a place where you feel a little bit more financially stable, some mm-hmm. of those things, you know, start to kind of resonate and be like, oh, wait, maybe I should rethink this. I think when you're young and you're ambitious and you're trying to prove something to the world and you feel like you've got to get out there and prove yourself, um, you can get a little overzealous, right? And those boundaries may look a little different. You might be open to compromising a little bit or, you know, mm-hmm. shifting a little bit because you because you feel like you have to prove something, like you have to prove that you're valuable, that you're not just some young kid who doesn't know what they're doing. Um, or at least that was myself in a lot of scenarios when I was younger. Um, <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think one of the first things that I learned as a manager, because that was where I was too, when I was a leader, I was checking my email while I was on PTO. I was taking phone calls. I was responding late at night. If I forgot to do something, I would get up and go do it, even if it was 10 o'clock at night. Um, and I had a manager and she was really fantastic. And she kind of started on that same journey of saying, hey, we need to do some boundaries. Like I herself was going to start not checking her emails on PTO and not responding at certain hours, you know, things like that. And I was like, you know what? I like that. Let's do it together. And, you know, we would kind of help each other through that and hold each other accountable. Um, So if one of us was on PTO and we responded to an email, they would respond back. You're on PTO. Why are you, (laughs) why are you responding to email? Turn it off, you know? Um, And now I'm at a place to where I don't have my work email on my phone. I don't check it when I'm on PTO. And if the place burns down while I'm on PTO, it's not my fault. Like I, I'm not going to hold ownership over that anymore or hold responsibility for that. Um, and I, it feels fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it took me a little while to get to that space, but now it's like, I don't even think about it. Like I don't think about work and I still, I have some staff on my team now who will check their email on PTO. And I'm like, why are you responding? Like, stop, you are on PTO. Stop doing that. Why are you in this meeting? You're on PTO. Don't come in to attend a meeting. Like, and what I've learned now being on the other side of it is like, do you not trust us to handle things in your absence? Um, and that's how a lot of like people on my team, like their counterparts or their peers will feel like, Hey, I'm backing you up. I've got your coverage. Like, why are you still here? Do not trust me to handle this. And I think when people see it in that way, it helps them, or at least for me, like let go of some of that control, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like I do have to trust others and I do totally trust you guys. That was never my issue of coming. It's not that I didn't trust you. I just felt like I needed to be there. Maybe it's the fear of missing out FOMO. I don't know. (laughs) But I think just kind of working it through that, it really helps. And it definitely makes me feel a whole lot happier. Yeah. And there's certain professions that lend themselves to that balance oh, easier. Yeah. Like my sisters that are nurses, they don't, when you're off the clock, you're off the clock. And I think that that's like such a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, I think that probably many people who are working from home now are really struggling with that because it is really easy to be like, well, I can just order dinner in and finish this thing that I'm doing. And it's super, you don't have anybody at the office going, Hey, we need to lock up. Are you leaving? Are you leaving? Or your boss has been staring at you. Like, why are you still here? You know, you're not going to get paid for this. Yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the hardest lessons to learn, but it's such an important lesson is when it comes to like companies and things like that, like, 
you're important and your job is important, but you're always replaceable. Oh, for sure. As and hard as I, that is to swallow sometimes. <laughs> you are it's replaceable. To swallow. And I think a lot of people go in being like, well, if I work hard enough, then I won't be. It's not true. I like I fully believed it until <laughs> until like my bubble was burst. And then I like had a hard time coping with it because I was like, oh my gosh, like this is an actual reality that I need to face and I did not know how to face it. Right. Um, but I think it really does help you to go like if it happens, it happens. I'll figure it out. <laughs> like yeah. I know that because you can't control that stuff. Like there are just outside forces. You can work your ass off and in it it has nothing to do with you. A company no. is a company and they're going to do whatever It still whatever has they to go do. on. Yeah. It still has yeah. to survive as a business. Um, and so therefore they're going to have to find somebody. They may not be able to do everything you do or do it the same way you do it, but they'll find somebody to be able mm-hmm. to help them get through to still achieve their goals. And it, we'll have, probably have to do a whole show on work-life balance, but I think it's interesting that, that the attitude we have towards work in the States is different than some of the other countries, you know, like they get longer maternity leaves and PTO practices and like just there's a different work-life balance structure and a lot of the other countries. And they kind of touched on that a little bit in the conference today. And they were talking about uh, the 10 happiest countries and the United States is not in the top 10 for happiest countries. Well, we're not even top 10. No. Um, <laughs> so it made me go do a little digging because they didn't talk about where United States fell in their list in the in the uh, conference. So I went back and Googled it. And according to Forbes, we are 14th. Okay. So Finland, here's the order for the top 10. Finland, Iceland, Denmark, Switzerland, Netherlands, Sweden, Germany, Norway, New Zealand, Austria, Israel, Australia, Ireland, and then the United States. Wow. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, which, I mean, I know I've, I've heard that a lot of like Finland, Denmark, Switzerland, those areas, Netherlands, Sweden, you always yeah. talk about they're very kind of like neutral areas that are tend to be happier. And so then I was like, okay, well, maybe we're not the happiest, but maybe we're the richest. No, mm-hmm. we are not. <laughs> we're number seven. For the richest. Um, But in order, it's Luxembourg, Norway, Switzerland, Ireland, Iceland, Qatar. I I always say that wrong. Q-A-T-A-R is number six. Uh We're seven. Denmark is eight. Singapore is nine. And Australia is ten. So then I thought, well, maybe we're the healthiest, which I thought that was going to be a stretch. Because I, you know me, I'm going down the road. We got to have something, right? The United States got to win something. We are not in the top 10. We are actually like 35th for the healthiest. So the healthiest is Spain, Italy, Iceland, Japan, Switzerland, Australia, Singapore, and Norway is the top 10 healthiest. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, Japan all right. just like hanging out there. Just- yeah. So I'm like, okay, maybe we're the most powerful, right? <laughs> we're the United States. We got it. We got to have that one. No, we don't. <laughs> We're number two. Japan is number one, which really surprised me. I didn't expect Japan to be the number one, but that's what it says. So it's Japan, United States, China, Germany, Russia, South Korea, United Kingdom, France, Canada, India, Brazil. Okay, that that top 10 didn't surprise me except for Japan being number one. Is it? Yes. Now I want to go down the rabbit hole of why that is. Is it because they have so much tech and... 
I don't know. I didn't, I didn't go that far. I was trying to find something where United States was at the top. We were at least number two on the top of that list, but, and I I thought Canada would be on more of these lists and they weren't, which that kind of surprised me. Yeah. I thought they were somewhat happy, but no, they didn't make the list either. I don't know if they're happy, but they're nice. That's such a bad stereotype. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me. No. So, yeah, so I thought it was really interesting, but then it just made me think about how the rest of the world perceives happiness and how they, like, what makes those countries happier? Is it just their overall lifestyle, their culture? And because they're not, they mean, like, Finland is not the wealthiest. They're not the most powerful. Like, they're not the healthiest. Like, what makes them happy? Like, what drives them and helps find that happiness yeah. I want to know now, like what the measures were for happiness. Were they looking at hierarchy of needs? Like when you look at those countries, I wonder if you looked at like basic needs, right? Food, housing, healthcare, like if they yes. tend to have all of those met in lower instances of not having those things, like, does that make countries more happier? It was, it was a really long article. I'm going to tell you that. So I didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> Um, But they did kind of touch on it in the conference a little bit and saying that a lot of the countries that made the happiest country list, their basic needs were generally met. So like you said, like their housing, their food, their healthcare, their education, those kind of things were already met either through like this socialist government or however their country Mm -hmm. is set up, you know, financial structure wise um and so then anything that they made their wages their earnings were really just kind of supplemental like they didn't really have to worry about those basic needs being met that that was already taken care of within their society i was like hmm interesting not making sense because your i mean hierarchy needs is something that just pounded into you in psychology like if your needs aren't met you don't get to do things like you were, right. you have to have all those needs met before you can focus on other things. So if you don't have food, housing, access to care, you're not worried about if you're happy or not. You weren't worried about finding experiences, connecting with other people. You're just trying to survive. Yes. I, I, do, I will say I could see where a lot of people in America kind of feel like they're on that survival track because like, we do have a higher number of people who aren't insured housing is a crisis here there's just and then in countries that are off the list you they really struggle with some of those things <laughs> and I think too it goes beyond that because I feel like here in the states not only are we trying to to like meet those basic needs but we're also trying to one-up everybody like it's mm-hmm. not that just that we need to have a house like we need to be keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like we want a certain kind of house and we want the biggest plasma screen TV and the newest iPhone. And we want, we want all of these things, right? And so Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times we're really searching for happiness and joy in our stuff, right? Like whatever we can accumulate. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that that's ever going to bring us the joy or happiness we're searching for. It might in the moment, right? Like you might feel like, oh, check this out. I got this new whatever. But long-term, it's not really giving you happiness or joy. Um, and I don't, I don't know, like I'm sure other cultures have the same thing, but I don't know if it's as prevalent or as like ingrained in the culture as it is here in America. Yeah. I don't know. Like I would love to live abroad or yes, just me too. be somewhere 
for a longer term, you know, vacationing is different because you, you really don't get to experience what, yeah. And you can like do what locals do, but you don't get to experience life. Right. And I think experiencing life would be very different. And I think that we would probably, I know me, I probably do a lot more things to fill my day than other people. (laughs) And, you know, I, I don't know how to just sit still. I really like being busy because when I sit still, it gives me too much time to think sometimes and I will cram, cram, cram everything in so that I don't have to stop and think. Yes. And I think sometimes that I can convince myself, like I will do that, especially when I know that I'm like not particularly happy. If I stay busy, then I don't have time to think about it. Oh, I'm sure we are the land of the distracted, whether it's social media or our busy schedules or whatever it is that we can put in front of us to distract us from what's really going on. Oh yeah. I we're definitely guilty of that for sure. What is it? Is it serotonin? Is the happy Mm -hmm. hormone? Yes. I call it serotonin hit. So when you're not feeling good about yourself (laughs) and you post a picture and then you're just seeing how many likes you get, like it's a serotonin hit to get likes. If you buy a new outfit, it's a serotonin hit. If you go right in the car and grab food real quick, like that's just like, there's so many ways to get serotonin hits that I think we get addicted to that instant gratification. Oh, absolutely. And so when you take away that instant gratification, I think that's when people are like, I don't, necessarily know how to be happy because I don't I don't know what to do let alone try to be happy like I I think and I see this a lot with my kids like especially over summer when they've had a little bit more free time than they normally do and so that means more screen time like Mm -hmm. it's like my my youngest will like try to rush through dinner as fast as he can so he can get right back on the screen and I'm like "Whoa, whoa whoa like let's slow down and actually eat and process and talk and do these things. Mm -hmm. Or even my daughter, these teenagers where they're like, it's all social media, you know, like they get mad at somebody. They don't talk to them. They just unfollow them or block them or whatever, you know? And I'm like, you know, at some point in your lives, you guys are going to have to develop these skills where you communicate with each other and you might have to have some conflict. You might have to actually have some of these difficult conversations to work through this stuff. It can't just be like, oh, I'm going to unblock you this week. And then when you get over it, you, you know, friend them again or whatever. Yeah. But that's that it's all social media. It's all kind of passive aggressive, instant gratification. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy. Yes. So I have TikTok and I'm about to have to delete it again because I cannot self-regulate <laughs> how long I'm on it. I am worse than a teenager when it comes to that. I will sit there for hours and not realizing that I've been on there for hours. Like the app is very strategic. It does not show you your clock. So you don't know what time it is. And it's like, what's 20 second videos, 30 second videos. And now they do up to three minute videos. And I found myself getting annoyed at three minute videos. I was like, Oh my God, this is taking forever. Like I need to just see the end of it. <laughs> and that's when I was like, Ooh, <laughs> it's time to delete this because this is not good for you. (laughs) I know I'm telling my kids all the time, like you need to get outside, like run around barefoot, like climb a tree. Like we need to be getting back to nature and like connecting with like the earth and to people and to, you know, things outside of technology and stuff like technology and stuff is great. And I can't live without it, but, (laughs) but it doesn't, I'm trying really hard to not let it consume us and like distance us so far from other people and that direct communication and connection with others that I I told my daughter the other day, I was like, I'm really scared of your generation, like leading us because like you guys don't talk anymore. 
like rarely do they actually sit down and have a conversation and have any kind of like interpersonal skills. Like it's like a lot of them don't know how to handle that. They don't know how to handle confrontation. They don't know how to express their needs or say what they want because it's all done through, even if they're in the same room with each other, it's all done through snap or, you know, something like that. And I'm like, y'all are in the same room and you're snapping each other. Like, really? Like put your phone down and talk to each other. Yeah. Ooh, I think, and that, I can't imagine how, because the part of like the connections and having us, like, I know that if I'm with friends and I'm on my phone too much, or if we didn't really talk and we, like physical presence for me is not a good connection. I don't leave feeling fulfilled. Like I need to have conversations and I really like deep conversations. I don't like surface level conversations. I want to get into something deep and meaningful and I don't yeah, learn we do tend me. to get a little philosophical, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we every now and then. I mean, um, you know, occasionally. <laughs> yeah, but these are some of my favorite conversations of the week. Like, they're just, yeah. cool. they come out of nowhere. It's not about work. It's not about, like, fam, I don't have kids. But, you know, like, I could imagine, like, if I had kids, like, if my only conversations are ever about my kids, like, who am I as a person if I'm not talking about my kids? Like, I think some people fall into that of, or I'm like, who am I if I'm not talking about work? I fell into that for a long time where my biggest oh, yeah. personality trait was work and how much I hated my job. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> not a personality trait. That's not me. I'm a, more than that, just that. And I, gosh, like, I don't know if I could, it would be so hard for me to find some happiness and joy if I didn't have those conversations. Even conversations that are hard. Like if I cry during a conversation, by the end of it, I'm going to be laughing and giggling and it's just cathartic and it, it's healing in a way. And I, healing brings happiness for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, it comes down to just like balance, connection, support system, and, and finding those things that help you actually feel good, right? Like I love to exercise, and I know when I things get too busy and I don't get to exercise regularly, I feel like crap and mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like it. You know, I, so the more time I can make to like exercise and be active, the better I feel. But mm-hmm. I think that's one of those things too, that it's like, well, when you're tired or you're feeling bummed, you don't really want to do those things. And so, you know, for me, it's like, I, almost have to force myself sometimes like, Hey, just get up and do it. Like you'll feel better. And I don't always feel better that same day. Right. Right. I may, I, some days it's just really hard to exercise and I may only get 10 or 15 minutes in and I don't feel any better afterwards, but I know if I keep doing that in my routine, I feel better. And so I think it takes a little bit of like stick to itness, you know, like, (laughs) like you gotta have some willpower there to kind of stick with it. Um, And then just having a support system and connecting with other people, I think is huge. Even for Mm -hmm. me, who's like, I don't get my energy from other people. We've we've talked about this, right? Like introvert, don't like people. I still need people. I still need to have those connections. And you're right. These conversations that you and I have, like really fill my cup. Not everybody likes to have these conversations. Not everybody likes to get deep. I don't know why, but they don't. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I know. It's so bizarre. Um, but you and I do, and we enjoy it. And we, I think it fills both of our cups. And that's 
why we continue to have this podcast, right? Because yeah. <laughs> it makes us feel better, even if other people don't like to listen to it. Um, and I just think that's really important. And I'm so glad that we have found that and that we like are able to help each other do that. And I hope that other people will find that too. Like find a person, a group of people, mm-hmm. whatever that can be part of that journey with you and help fill your cup. And so that way you're not carrying all the weight just on yourself because that's hard and lonely. It is really hard and it's okay to lean on people. Yes. And that was a hard lesson to learn. At myself more than anybody else. Yes. Me too. It was a hard lesson for me to learn. It was a hard lesson for me to ask for help, right? Because then that Mm -hmm. meant that you couldn't do it all. And that perfectionist in me was not wanting to accept that. (laughs) Um, So it's definitely a hard lesson to learn. But man, once you turn the corner and you realize that people have your back and that people are there for you and you can, I mean, it's just, it just makes life so much better and so much easier. It opens yourself up. Like you learn that people love you through that. And like you, you're the only one that's convinced that people are going to stop liking you for needing help. Yeah. (laughs) Or think less of you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times it actually builds stronger relationships because then people then in turn feel like they can be vulnerable with you and that they can lean on you. Like if you are constantly like doing everything on your own, people don't think they can come to you. And that was the hardest lesson I learned that I was like unapproachable because I would not ask for help. And I just seemed like I always had it together and I might be falling apart behind the scenes, but in front of you, I'm going to show up and be like, Nope, I got it. And or you're, you, you come off as intimidating. People are like, Oh, I can't go to her because she's, she's got it all figured out. And I don't. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn as well. So I'm glad you called that out. And it's, it is super hard. And I think, gosh, that vulnerability is the hardest for me in the workplace. In real life, I'm a little bit better about like being open, but in the workplace, like learning what my boundaries are for showing somebody vulnerability is really hard. And my boss told me like, you can be more vulnerable in the workplace. And that concept, I was like, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I think it's scary because oh, yeah. the trust that you build in the workplace is different. I think when you like in your personal life and so, and especially when you have an attachment to your work and how closely that's tied to your identity, right? Like you don't yeah. want to shake that. And if you feel insecure or like that trust isn't there, it's scary to open up or be, show your vulnerability at work. Yeah. Even like not work. I had a baking order that was horribly wrong and I, I had to call somebody and be like, Hey, what can I do instead? I, I cannot make what you wanted me to make. And I like did it. And then immediately, as soon as I hung up, like started crying. Cause I was like, Oh my oh. God, I failed them. And I didn't like, I would have failed them if I would have not stopped before. And then like right. everything else would have had a spiral effect, you know? Cause at that point I was just like, how do I burn my apartment down so that I don't have to fulfill this order? <laughs> talk about catastrophizing some shit. Yeah. Right. I think that's so funny though. Cause, but I think you called this out earlier too, where it's like, we can't, we can't have it all, all at the same time. And I think that really applies when you're like trying to do everything for everyone all the time in every situation, it's just unrealistic and totally unmanageable. And being able to find that, that place where you can say, listen, I've got to call this out. Sorry if I disappoint you, but I feel like if I don't do this, I'm going to disappoint you even further. Like that takes a lot of courage. And so, I mean, I think that's something that you should recognize and celebrate. Like 
yeah, it sucks. I couldn't deliver, but I did have the courage to own up to it and put myself out there. And Um, that's still a huge win. Oh, I definitely, the next day I was like, that was a really great win. It didn't, they (laughs) still feel good in the moment, but yeah. yeah. They still paid for their order. They still loved it. I still got referrals, but I also learned like boundaries of like truly being like, I am not perfect. I cannot do everything I set my mind to, no matter how hard I want to. Like (laughs) I can look at somebody and be like, I can't do that for you. This is what I can do. And if you choose to go somewhere else, or if you need help finding somebody, let me, I'm more than happy to give you recommendations. I think that's hard too, is I want to be a people pleaser. I want to be perfect. But I think redefining perfect (laughs) is helpful, right? Like is perfect being able to do everything everybody else wants you to do, or is perfect being able to rise up and be the person you want to be? And you know what I mean? And kind of like flipping the Mm -hmm. script a little bit and saying, I got to be true to myself. And that's the perfection I'm after versus being who I think everybody else wants or needs me to be. I have not thought about it in that mind frame. I always like try to interchange perfect with authentic of like, how can I be my most authentic self? How can I show up in that? But I like that of like redefining perfect. Cause that is the quicker word to go to, especially yeah. when you're so used to being like, mm. well, um, I feel like authentic's getting kind of played out right now. It's getting very niche and it's hard to me. It's hard to relate to it. Cause authentic today might look different than authentic tomorrow and it's still me but it just depends on my mood and where I'm at and how I'm feeling you know what I mean and so for me that's if I'm in a really shitty mood and I'm just really I don't want to show up authentically because I don't want to show up in a shitty mood and be shitty to people I just want to show up as my best self today right and that may be, Hey, I need to reschedule this call. So I'm not shitty to you. <laughs> Literally and me last night. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. Right. But if I were to show up authentically, I'd be like, come on, let's go. I'm going to be shitty to you, but like, whatever, like that's my authentic self today. So for me in my own messed up, crazy head up here, <laughs> authentic is hard for me to really kind of put into play in my day-to-day life because I just kind of swirls and not the the way I think it's intended <laughs> when you yeah. put it out there. So yeah, like kind of redefining perfect or, you know, kind of best self is what works for me. That, okay. That makes sense. Cause when I think of like authentic self, I'm like honoring it. So me, me texting you and being like, Hey, can we reschedule the recording? Like I'm not in a good place. It's going to get real dark real fast. I just <laughs> <laughs> like, that was like me honoring the, my authentic self and just showing up to you as I am. Yeah. And so that, like, that for me was really hard. Like, normally I would try to push through it and all that, but I know myself well enough and I know you well enough. Like, I'll just start crying. And I really <laughs> would like to not cry on these anymore. It's like, it's not my favorite thing to do. Too many people listen to them that I'm like, God, like, I don't want them to hear me break down. <laughs> like, they haven't, you know, it's like, I still struggle with that of like, being okay with people knowing that I am like not always happy, go lucky and preppy. I don't think anybody who's listened to all these episodes necessarily has that idea of me anymore. <laughs> I think I've really burst that bubble for them. <laughs> but, it's so funny. You know, so I think, yeah, but like some, so many of those words that we use and that we like try to give this broad definition to, like, you really do have to personalize them. Oh yeah, I agree. You run yourself ragged trying to be like a happy person. If you look at like 
Kim Kardashian and like, oh, she's like, I'm happy. And it's like, well, but are you? Yeah. Are you? And like, and I hate it. I hate, 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 hate it. When people are like, you know how they say money can't buy happiness? Like it probably can. Like for me, that is the biggest red flag in a person. And I know that sounds so bad, but I'm like, I want, like, I would like to believe that yes, money is nice and it's nice to have creature comforts, but I've been broke as a stoke. I've been comfortable and I've been sad in both ways. I've been happy in both ways. Like happiness really can't, is not like an end goal. It's just a journey. You can't, I don't think you can earn happiness. It's just there. And it's just a matter of like letting it come to the front or pushing it down. It's kind of like self-worth. You don't do things like you convince yourself you have more self-worth, but you're the same amount of worth no matter what. It's just seeing it in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not more worthy if you lose weight or if you get injections or if you get a facial or if you got rid of your acne, like none of that changed it. It just made you see it, but everybody else already knew it. And so it's like, you've got to realize that it's it. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say with that. Cause I don't, it's don't all within you. It's all there. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. the mindset. It's great. But also if you don't, that's still okay too. You you still can be happy and love yourself. Oh, absolutely. It's, it makes me think of like, you know, those people who always seem to have something wrong, like something's always going wrong. Their car broke down. They got a ticket. They lost their job. Like everything's always, every time they call you, it's something where they're the victim, everything's wrong in their life. And they're just kind of stuck in that space. They never seem to catch a break. They never seem to have good luck. You know, it's always that. And I think that to me, that's where the unhappiness comes from. We're all going to have hurdles. We're all going to have shit that pops up that we don't expect for, don't plan for. You know, you get a flat tire on your way to work. You get a speeding ticket. Your air conditioner goes out. That shit's just going to happen. But when you get stuck in the cycle of, oh, poor me, I've always got bad luck. I've always got shit happening to me. Then you kind of stay in the state of just unhappiness, right? Like you're not content. You're always Mm -hmm. the victim. Nothing's going your way. Like, I mean, that's a crappy place to be like, like, we do have bad luck. Like I know some really good people that are really happy that have had just like really crappy things happen to them, but they've been able to kind of maintain, not that it's Mm -hmm. easy for them. It's still hard and they still have to process and they still have to go through it. They have to grieve, whatever, but they don't fall victim. They don't fall victim to that victim mindset, right? Like it's, man, this is a really shitty situation, and it sucks to be in it, but their perception of it is different. And so I think that's really the key for me is it's how do you perceive the world that you're living in? How do you perceive your role in it? And how do you perceive yourself and your ability to deal with it? Mm-hmm. And that's a huge factor. And nobody wants I, to talk about it. It's so much easier to just shift all the blame and put it outward and saying, the world hates me. I'm a, you know, I have shitty luck. <laughs> you know, that's easy. Uh, It's so easy. There are a lot of TikToks. Sorry, y'all. I'm probably gonna lose some people on this one. (laughs) Bear with me for a minute. So they're like, there's like some of these teachings and like energy and things like that. And like, you are the master of your own universe. Like you control things. I don't necessarily know if I believe in that, but I think you can control how you perceive things. Like you said, and how you 
react to things. And I think that's the hardest thing to learn is how to react to things in a way that goes like, like rewiring that reaction. But if you're constantly saying like bad things happen to me and stuff like that, it's almost like you're putting out that energy. So you're drawing in bad things and bad energy. And if you're like, great things happen to me, I am loved. Like I'm worthy. Like you notice that stuff more because that's the energy you're putting out. And so it's what you're more tuned to. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm like on that bandwagon, but I, I like the thought of it. And I like to think that like, okay, even if I'm like faking it till I make it eventually my vibrations are going to be in such a way that it might bring some good shit back to me and couldn't hurt to try. To me, it's kind of the same thing as praying, right? Like you pray for these good things and you give thanks and all of that. And that's like something that somebody told me one time is like, you can ask God for a lot of things, but what are you thanking him for too? And I think that that's Mm -hmm. a huge thing. And that's almost the same thing, right? Like putting out with the good things out there so that more can come. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Cause I think if you're constantly looking at how you've been victimized or what's going wrong in your life or what's shitty, you're going to, you're going to see those things. Oh, mm-hmm. I stubbed my toe today. And I mean, listen, I'm a clumsy person. I fall and bump into crap all the time. And if I acknowledged every single time I tripped and fell or stubbed my toe, like I would be a sad, miserable person. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, I think it's just your perception on it. Like if you're constantly just focusing on those things, that's what you're going to find more of. And every little thing is going to add up to be a big thing. But if you're just like, Oh, my tire blew out. Shit. Thank God. I got a hundred bucks. Let's go buy a new tire. Let's keep moving. It no longer takes up that space in your life, in your brain, in your perception. It's just something that happened and you've moved on from it and you didn't give it any meaning, good or bad. You just, looked at it for the facts, right? Like, this is what happened. Here's what I did to fix it. And you've moved on. When you start putting that emotional attachment on it and blame and energy, that's what, that's what consumes you. And I don't know a lot about the vibrational stuff and energy, but I have to feel like there's some sort of like truth there somewhere. Like, I don't know what it is, but, (laughs) but I think we do have energy. We do have vibrations. I think we, I mean, there has, I mean, we're, our entire world is made up of energy. So if something's off or shifts or moves, I have to feel like it has to affect all of the other energy around it. Right. Like the butterfly effect, like there's crap that happens. So you've got to keep your energy up and on certain levels. So I don't know that there's any science to back that up. I can't quote any of that, but (laughs) in my brain, I feel like it makes sense. So I think put it out there, see what happens, like manifest it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I need to get my sister has these shirts and it literally says manifest that shit. And I really want to get one to send to you. (laughs) I know we should do one like with our logo on it, you know, like the intentionally human logo, because that's, I think exactly what we just said, manifest that shit. So (laughs) yeah. And I, so I've been trying to practice manifestation and I literally, (laughs) some of the things that I've been trying to manifest, like I've been thinking about them long enough and being like, no, I'm in control of this, but I've actually realized that it's not what I want. And I think that's like a beautiful thing that it's like, oh, I don't actually want this anymore. I thought I did, but I don't. Like, what do I really want? And it's like, so like, I would have never come to that resolution if I was just like waiting around for something to happen it's like no I got control of this I think that's so awesome that you called that out because I think we talked about this like being perfectionist being goal-driven achievement-driven you're always working towards the next goal but I think sometimes once you get there you're like huh 
this didn't feel as good as I thought it would, or this didn't bring me what I thought it was going to bring me. And so I, I think that opportunity to reflect and be like, is this really what I want? Why do I want this? How is that going to help me? Is so important. And it's something that I thought I was doing a lot when I was younger, but didn't really recognize how, how little of it I was doing, like the connection, that deeper level of it. it. To me, it was just more like, oh, I can check the box. Like I achieved that and I can feel a sense of pride in that. Um, and I do, I am grateful and appreciative of all the things I achieved, but now I sit back and think, okay, well now here I am. Now what do I want? And do I really want all the same things I thought I wanted or do I want something different now? And that's okay. Right? Like that's, once you get over the fear of it, <laughs> it can mm-hmm. be exciting and you can be like, oh, okay, sweet. I can switch gears and like the world's not going to come crumbling down around me. Like, all right, I can handle that. New yes. chapter. Oh, I think the fear, you just really struck a nerve. Like the fear is such a big thing that I, oh gosh, I know for me, like I had this idea in my head of exactly what it was supposed to be like when I graduated and all that. And I had the, the biggest fear, like trying to switch jobs. I was so unhappy in a job but the thought of switching gears and doing something different that I never heard about. And it's the job that I got with you, you know, like left yeah. another company came to this one. That was, I almost held myself back from it. Cause I was like, I know what this life looks like. This is what I've prepped for. I know how to do this. If I do that, I don't know what that looks like. That's going to change in those like leaps of faith. Always have the best outcomes and it's okay to go. I thought that I wanted this. I was wrong. Let me, and I yeah. admitting that you're wrong when you're a perfectionist is like yeah, not something hard. we love to do, <laughs> well, but I it's think we, so important. Yeah. I think we see this a lot too with like kids when they graduate from college, right? Like you go to college for four years, you get your degree and you're pumped and you're like, all right, I'm going to go out and change the world and whatever your field is. Right. And then you get out there and you're like, Ew, oh, I'm not sure if I really like this, but then you feel this pressure, right? Like you just went to college for four years and you've got student debt or whatever, and you, I've even had friends at certain points in my life saying, oh, you're not, you're not using your degree. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not counseling anymore. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm not using the knowledge that I gained to get my degree, even though I'm not using it in the way I thought I would use it or the way I, I just don't want to use it that way anymore. I could counsel if I wanted to. I enjoy counseling, but it's not what I want to do right now. Um, but I think a lot of people feel that pressure to follow that path and, do what they said they were going to do and do all of these things that they thought they were supposed to do or should be doing or their parents or their friends, whatever. And sometimes it's okay to just say, you know what? Hey, all of that is great. You're not losing that knowledge. You're not losing those skills. You're just going to use them and apply them in a different way. And that's okay. Take the, take the leap, try it. Yeah. I, I think that that's, I really applaud women who, when they have children decide to stay home. Cause I know that that's really scary. And there's a lot of fears about going back into the workplace and all that, that leap of faith of going, I'm going to do this. I think that it's what I want and doing it is really neat. I have a lot of anxiety about that for when I have kids. Cause it's like, yeah, I would love to stay at home, but like, what if I can't get a job again? Like I, I, that's so in the back of our minds, even as like childless women, it's in the back of your mind or like you get into a job and you're like, Oh God, like if I ever have a kid, how am I going to like, keep up with my workload how can I take maternity leave in this job like those are like wild things but it is a leap of faith and and it all works out but that just going let me switch gears for a minute 
because it also like stay at home moms get shit on a lot by people like, Oh, you're not using your degree. And it's like, well, they are just in a very different way, you know? Well, and I think at the flip side of that too, I think sometimes people feel like they're supposed to stay at home once they have kids Mm -hmm. and then they get home and realize that that's not as fulfilling or that they, you know, need something different or want something different. And then sometimes they're shamed like, well, why aren't you staying at home? Like you have little kids. So I I think that goes for both ways. And I think just like forgetting all of these pressures from external sources and just digging inside yourself and saying, what works for me? Screw everybody else. Like F them. Like I got to do what's right for me, whether that's stay at home, not stay at home, use my degree in this way or that way. Like, you just got to do what's right for you. Just pave your own yeah. path, man. It's, yeah. It's a series <laughs> of choices. <laughs> I know, but it ties us back. That's what we started with happiness, right? Like it's a choice. It's not mm-hmm. always an easy choice. And sometimes it's, we don't fully understand it, but at the end of the day, it really is our choice to decide how we want to feel about things and how, you know, what energy we want to give different parts of our lives and different perceptions. So Get out there and manifest that shit, I guess, right? <laughs> Make it work for you. Exactly. I. <laughs> you keep leaving us on really good one-liners, then, so I'm not... I think that's what we ended on. <laughs> well, I'm good to end it on that. I feel like we have talked about happiness, so hopefully we've given you guys at least a couple of tips to think about or some, you know, funny one-liners to uh, add to your sticky note collection like I do. <laughs> Definitely. I am excited to listen to this one back because I always kind of black out after we've done these <laughs> and forget what we talked about. Yes. I think this is one that I can definitely keep coming back to and just being like, damn, Jessica, you already said it out loud to a bunch of people. So let's um, practice it. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to look at making shirts, right? Like, I feel like now we need to make shirts. <laughs> yes. Intentionally manifesting shit. There you go. That's right. Actually, I really like that because I feel like it gives it purpose, right? So it's not just manifesting shit, but we're going to intentionally manifest shit. Like that's, that's perfect. I love it. What is that? Copyright it. Don't. I know. Nobody can steal it. it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging out with us and we will be back at you next week. Bye y'all.